2: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today
1: with Byte.
2: Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. Thanks so much for being here. And my guest this week is Clyde. Phillips, are you a fan of Dexter? Well, let me rephrase that. Were you a fan of Dexter? Like the first four seasons when it was great, and then after that, it just kind of fell off the table and became pretty terrible, and the finale was awful. But now, eight years after that disappointing finale, Dexter is returning to Showtime for one season. And Clyde Phillips, who was the showrunner for the first four seasons when it was really good, well, he is coming back to, I guess, redeem Dexter. It's a very different format and you're going to learn a lot more about him. So uh, this week and next, I'm going to be talking to Clyde Phillips. This week, we're going to talk a lot about Dexter, which uh, drops Early November, again, that's on Showtime. Uh, What went right? What went wrong? What's the heart and soul of that series? And uh, what can we expect for the new Dexter? That is this week. Next week, we'll talk a lot about his very interesting career. So coming up, part one with Clyde Phillips right here on Hollywood and Levine. So Dexter is coming back. And I have to say, Clyde, I'm very happy to hear that after the final episode of Dexter. <laughs> it's like, I'm so glad that Dexter doesn't end there. And uh, I know you weren't a part of it at that point, but uh, man, I can't think of of a beloved show that had a more disappointing ending so... Uh, like I said, I'm so glad that uh, you decided to rescue it.
1: <laughs> well, it wasn't entirely my decision to go into the burning building. <clears throat> um, Showtime asked me to come back. Um, they have Well, been thank waiting. you for saying yes. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, it really had to do, well, first of all, to talk about the, the ending, which I had nothing to do with. If you look up worst television endings of all time, top 10, Dexter's on every list. And um, it's a shame because the show was starting out was really beautiful and and somewhat um, revolutionary. And we hope to be doing that. We intend to be doing that with this new season. Um, the reason I'm back is uh, twofold. Uh Showtime invited me, a and b. Michael was ready. He had there had been a couple of false starts trying to bring the show back, and Michael just wasn't really ready. It's a big decision to, for an actor to go back into a role that makes him so identifiable. And Showtime so loves what we're doing right now that they've pulled out all the stops. Uh, they're spending more than they've ever spent on publicity, um, and advertising, and promotion. You will not be able to do anything without knowing that uh, Dexter's coming back. Whether you go to your Amazon page or look at a bus driving by or go on a subway. I've got three interviews this week with um, uh, Russia, Spain, and another country. I forgot, I forgot what it was. It's sold all over the world. Um, and we're ready. We're ready to uh, take take it on. And another thing we want to do is bring in new viewers, because a lot of the viewers, you know, the show ended eight or nine years ago where the viewers were 12 years old and not watching the show. And, uh, we want those kids to come join our audience.
2: Very interesting that your first episode back is a continuation in a sense, and also a pilot, (laughs) you know, it's like you have to introduce people to the character and yet, for a large part of the audience, they know it, and they don't want to be led through. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, we, we right. got this. Yeah, <clears throat> it's uh, on top of everything else, a very tricky dance.
1: Yeah, it's look. You you know as well as anybody how challenging that is. But we didn't want to. I mean, the one thing we, one of our own internal mandates was to not have this be Dexter season nine. We we want to acknowledge. the the fact that almost a decade has passed and we want to respect the audience enough to pretend that it didn't end the way it ended. Um, And everything else about the show is different in its own way. The theme of the show, the theme of this year's uh, series, this year's um, 10 episodes is Fathers and Sons. Um, And we adhere pretty closely to that. And um and it's even though Dexter is living in a small town population twenty seven hundred and upstate in fictional town in upstate New York, um, with in part of the reason it is because there's so much less temptation for him and he can be monastic and abstinent, this is Dexter. People are gonna die.
2: Yeah. I was kinda hoping he'd stay in Miami and get rid of the governor there. <laughs>
1: Or, yeah, or move to Texas. Uh Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or Idaho. Yeah, there's a couple of places.
2: Let's go back to the beginning because, like you said, it's very revolutionary. The idea that the audience is, in a sense, supposed to root for a serial killer is. Certainly, a, a a real spin. How did you get involved in it? I mean, there's obviously the the book. Uh, how faithful were you to the book, and what led you to take on that project?
1: Okay, that's about eleven questions right there. So let's let's unpack them. Um, okay. Answer <laughs> um, answer any six. <laughs> okay. Uh, I was I had just moved to Connecticut. I had a uh, my wife and I had a daughter. And we wanted to uh, raise her in the East. We're both from the East. And um, I just moved to Connecticut and got a DVD from, uh, if you remember those,
3: mm-hmm. from
1: uh, Showtime asking me to look at the show. And I saw it. And then I read the book. I watched it and I was completely fascinated. Read the book. Had some problems with the initial pilot and uh, flew back and met with Bob Greenblatt and Gary Levine. And uh, told them what I was thinking about if I were to do it, what I would want to change, and they agreed. And they said, "Go hire a writing staff, basically." And um, so I rewrote a little bit of the pilot and um, uh, reshot it to make it conform. I mean, initially, Harry, the James Remar character in the pilot, the was father. talking to a five-year was was talking to a five-year-old kid about channel your violence for good and all of this stuff it's child abuse so we changed that to a make it a 17 year old kid that he was talking to young Dexter um I just found out doing a podcast with uh Gary Levine last week uh, our own internal Dexter Showtime podcast that there were several showrunners up for the show I didn't know that I didn't know it was a bake-off um and uh, in fact, I didn't know it until last week. Huh. This is 15 years ago. <laughs> and uh, had another person gotten the show, my life would be different and Showtime would be different because people who were up for the show ended up doing huge shows for Showtime. Um, so in, in any event, uh, I, we stuck pretty close to the first year book um, darkly dreamy Dexter by Jeff Lindsay. And cause that plot laid out beautifully, mm-hmm. but then we weren't in sync with his writing schedule, you know, for when his next books, next book was going to come out and all that. So we had to right away pivot after the first season. And from then on, it was all original from our writing room.
2: And the second season was very interesting too. Usually there's a big drop off, from the first year because the first year in many of these cable shows, uh, has a very well defined story. And then you get h- hired for year two and you go, uh, now what do we do? But that was, was very interesting. I forget her name. She was the girl from hustle and
1: yeah. Um, uh, Jamie, Jamie Murray, Jamie, Ken, J- Jamie. Yeah. Jamie Murray. Yeah. Yeah. She, uh, well, what's interesting about the first and second year is we're, you and I were talking before that we started recording about the writer's guild strike. There was a writer's guild strike after the first year and, um, which is, I think the last time we actually picketed and, um, yeah, I think it was a hundred day strike and, and the networks were running out of content. Uh, Showtime is owned by CBS. Now it's Viacom or whatever the big conglomerate is, but, and so CBS took Dexter and put it on the net, uh, broadcast network. I mean, they made some edits and put it on broadcast network. And we went from 800,000 viewers to 6 million viewers. Um, and then when the strike ended and the show came back, I think the second year we went from eight, 800,000 in the first year to 3 million people started subscribing to Showtime. They had fallen in love with the show. And, um, and I remember talking about, you know, shows getting picked up. We were doing the uh, Paley center, Uh, festival and we're on stage and somebody said we were in the second year and somebody said, are you guys coming back? And I said, I don't know. And Greenblatt yelled from the audience. Yes. For two more years. And that's how we found out we got picked up (laughs) in year four.
2: (laughs) See, my shows were never at the Paley center. That was the problem.
1: (laughs) That's the problem. (laughs) That's why
2: we got canceled. (laughs) Uh,
1: To to, uh, answer another one of your questions, Part of the question is why does an audience um, embrace a serial killer? Why do you want, why does an audience let a serial killer into their homes every Sunday night uh, for eight years? And A, it's Michael Hall. Um, B, it, it was, you know, at the height of the anti hero phenomenon, although I I still think there, that anti hero phenomenon continues. I and mean, we can talk about that if you want. Um, and thirdly, uh, it's the voiceover. Um, Dexter is vulnerable. Dexter is, and, and make no mistake, this is fiction. Dexter, what Dexter does is wrong. Um, he's a psychopath, but he's vulnerable. And when you let, when you, when you open your heart to the audience, they lean forward, and they become, in an odd way, um, partners in crime, uh, complicit. I mean, we've all sat in bed and uh, thought, you know, that asshole who pushed my son uh, into the swimming pool or that teacher who was mean to my daughter, whatever it is, we thought about, I'm going to go in that building and just blow everybody away. But we don't do it because we're not psychopaths. Uh, But we've all had that feeling. And Dexter acts out on those feelings for us.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. And now all those psychopaths, uh, they just storm the Capitol. That's right. That's right. <laughs> they, they just do it. You know, one thing that you did in your years that I thought was so much fun was he was always trying to cover his tracks and you always kept the tension up. There were always things that he couldn't cover. He was always, you know, it's like the the guy in the Ed Sullivan show spinning the plates where there's like right. always one plate that uh that still was about to teeter and fall. And you guys just did a great job of just constantly keeping that pressure up along the way um and and having him be resourceful and wiggle out of these issues. Uh, it's like, you know, I've always maintained that, that good writers are just sadists. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> well, we, <laughs> you know, we, they, they we keep their very, characters
1: in trouble. We worked very hard at painting ourselves into impossible corners, having the confidence in my writing staff and in myself to get us out of those corners. I think I forgot which year the, the finale was Dexter getting married and he's wearing a cast on his wrist cause he'd just gone out of, out of a um, terrible, it was a third year out of a terrible situation and hurried to the altar, you know, threw his tuxedo on and he's dancing with his wife. And we pan down her white, beautiful, pristine dress, uh, the back of it to his cap wrist in a cast and a drop of blood is coming out of the cast and onto her dress and that's all you need i mean i'm, I'm tuning in next week
2: mm-hmm. that's great then you got to season four yep. which i would put your season four up against the best year of any drama on television john lithgow was maybe the world's greatest adversary um that was just a magic year. I guess you probably sensed it as you were filming them that, like, well, wow, this I think we're onto to something here.
1: Well, we had broken out the season um, as, as you do, you know, uh, before we started writing it. And we knew we had a really special villain. And Hitchcock once said, the better the adversary, the better the story. And um I had done a TV movie with John back in the TV movie days, and so I knew him a little bit. Um, and we would we, we sit in his trailer and play guitar, and he, he's he's a, quite a good singer. We had, had a great time. Had remained tangentially had remained friends. He was and, the
2: coach to my son's little league team.
1: Really? Yep. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, I did what you know. What back in the Disease of the Week uh, movies, you know, I I did a bunch of those, so I did. He was in my Linda Gray disease of the week movie. Okay. <laughs> um, in any event, so I went to CAA to meet with him. Well, I, I knew the pitch down cold. I, I knew what it was. And so he's, and I went to, uh, to the agency, went into a conference room and his agent came in and I had to say to his agent, you need to leave the room, yeah, which was a little awkward, mm-hmm. uh, because I'm about to tell John confidentially. The entire season, which nobody else knows, not including my actors. Um, so the agent, you know, uh, unhappily left the room. And then I spoke without notes for one hour to John. And he's a ebullient, effusive guy. He's huge, too. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mm-hmm. always tease him that he's got a head like Easter Island. Um, uh, and he would get up and go, yes, I love that. That's great. And then at the end of the pitch, he said, I'm in. I said, okay, well, John, wait a second. You owe a day on a movie in Ireland, and it's your anniversary, and Mary, his wife, is getting an award in Italy, um, and then you're taking a cruise. And uh, he said, fuck it, I'm in. I said, well, uh, sign me up. When do I start? And then he said, um, and I said, well, we have to negotiate this. He said, I don't care what it is. I'm in. And then, so then I, I wrote that first episode where he kills that first woman in the, in the bathtub and then he it's the kind of actor who doesn't want to know doesn't want to see all the scripts he would call me each week or we'd be sitting around the set and uh tell okay tell me about uh two episodes from now so i can think so i know how to be um how to perform and how to how to play this right um and just in watching i mean the first day of the first episode he was naked the whole day he's in the bathtub killing that woman mm-hmm. and then he's in that Hot shower, uh, kind of like self flagellation ritual. And uh, then he put on a bathrobe and goes sit on the director's chair and read the newspaper um, <laughs> and, and tell stories. I mean, he's he nominated for two Oscars, has a whole dramatic career besides Third rock in the Sun, and is uh, the loveliest guy in the world. I talk to him all the time now.
2: So the season ends. And it was a very shocking ending too. I mean, I, he killed Julie Benz. Uh, you decide to leave the show. How come?
1: Well, a couple of reasons. Well, first of all, I I, I decided to leave the show before the season ended. Um So there's a line in the end at the in, at the end if you remember that, that that episode when Dexter comes home, thinking he's going to pack and go meet his wife and uh, son,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, and he's looking at the moon and he says, I wonder if Rita sees the same moon I'm seeing right now. And then he steps on a little Lego assembly and uh, knocks it over and he bends over to start putting it together. And he says, wait a minute. Um, Life doesn't have to be perfect. It has to be lived. And that was me talking, getting my stuff out. Mm -hmm. I was working my ass off on a show to earn a lifestyle that I wasn't living. My wife and daughter <laughs> were in the my my wife and daughter were in the east. I was basically, basically a bachelor with uh, you know my showbiz family, um, and uh, I wanted to be with my family. I you know would fly back every other weekend, which is exhausting and a little you know overly dramatic. You know, for my daughter was uh, under ten at the time, and so I, I didn't want her to have the daddy's home for two, for, you know, for a weekend drama in her life. Um, And then as soon as I left that, I went, I went under contract to Lionsgate and ended up um, doing nurse Jackie in New York. Uh, So I was able to to stay home and be with my family. So it worked out exactly as I wanted it to.
2: So, when I left Mash, I found it very hard to watch the show because I'd be going. Wait, Hawkeye I wouldn't do that. No, th- <laughs> no, there's 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 a funnier line than that. Wait, wait, wh- wh- what is Klinger doing? You know, uh, right. it, it was very frustrating. Eventually, I, I stopped watching because it it drove me nuts. Uh, what was it like for you to watch <laughs> your baby? after you had departed.
1: Well, it drove me nuts too, I gotta say. Uh, the line producer of the show, Robert Lewis, who's one of my best friends, my daughter's godfather, um, I would call him every Sunday night and fire him. Um because <laughs> as I just I and he'd go, I know, I know, I know. It, we watched, the, you know, the show Break the Code with with you know, Dexter had a very strict code, not mm-hmm. only in his self ethic, in his bond with the audience and that was broken. And I really um, was saddened to see the show go in the direction in which it went. Um, I will confess to a certain amount of a schadenfreude. um, I mean, there were websites devoted to bringing me back. And that it's hugely immodest, but uh, uh, it's what happened. Okay. Um, and, uh, but I was, I was done with it and I was off doing another show. Um, and then in watching that, that last episode, um, it you know, I don't know if we're in the middle right now of redeeming the show. I don't think that's really my job, but I, I'm trying to make the audience whole again. Um, and, you know the, the last episode, at best, was confusing, and at worst was, and and at best was disappointing, and at worst was completely misguided. And now it's now we're well guided.
2: I remember when they did the last episode of the Mary Tyler Moore Show, mm. and they brought back Rhoda and Phyllis, and by that time, Rhoda and Phyllis had each been spun off thing. into yeah. their own shows. Yeah, and Rhoda on Rhoda was no longer funny. And she comes back onto the Mary Tyler Moore show where the Mary Tyler Moore show writers are once again writing her. And it's like the minute she walks in the door, it's like Rhoda's back.
1: right? Okay, this is
2: Rhoda. She's funny. And so I think there may be some of that too where the audience will watch and go, yeah, that's the Dexter we know.
1: I think you're right. I think that there's, I mean, there's an authenticity to to what we're doing once again, and we adhere very strictly to the code. Um, we 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 actually won't waver in what happens in the show, and we've got an ending built in. I'm, let's see. I'm, I've been meeting later today with Showtime on episodes four, five, and six, um, and we built an ending, which I, which I wrote, I wrote the first and last episodes, which is going to astonish people. You know, it's the old, um, checkoff thing that it's, um, inevitable and surprising. Mm
3: -hmm. Um,
1: and, uh, I, I can't, I haven't seen it yet. Although my, my director, who's a dear friend and was one of my directors, uh, on, um, the first four years, Marco Ciego, who's an executive producer and director now on this show, um, and has seen it and said it's the best thing he's ever directed. And um, I feel as if it's the best thing I've written. Now that's a pretty ballsy thing to do and I to say it. So I could have um, I could be eating crow in, in uh, January, but we'll see.
2: <laughs> All the episodes are already filmed, done.
1: Yes, we partly because of COVID, we we started so. I'll I'll just back up to what happened. On July 1st, 2019, I'm here on Martha's Vineyard, and my phone rings, and it's Gary Levine, and uh, who's the president of Showtime. And and, and a very old friend of mine. I've known him since the day he moved to California, brought him into the showbiz softball league, socialized with him. Uh, He's also a cantor, as I think you might know uh, in, in temples. And he held my daughter when she was eight days old and her baby nearing ceremony. So, I mean, you can't get much closer with an executive than that. Right. So he calls and says, I'm going to be in New York next week. Do you want to have lunch? And, uh, I said, Gary, you've got two daughters who live in New York. You don't want to have lunch with me. So if this is business, (laughs) let's, let's, let's talk about it. He says, you're right. Uh, we want to bring back Dexter and, um, Michael is ready. Uh, Will you, go, will you go to the city and talk to them? So I said, give me two weeks. Okay. So I sat with my writing um, long distance and um, came up with what the show should, could, should be. And then went to the city, went to see Michael, had a little bit of a reunion, pitched him out the show. When I was for like 40 minutes. When I was done pitching, he stood up, gave me a hug. He said, I love it. I'm in. And then I called Gary, that was driving back to the airport. And then um, I called Gary from the car and I said, Michael loves it, he's in. And he said, go hire a writing staff. So, I mean, it, it wasn't like we had to do a pilot or prove ourselves to do any of that. It was basically a series commitment uh, straight away. And uh, <clears throat> so we wrote, hired a writing staff, set up offices in an office building on Riverside in Burbank. And, um, so
2: you had to come back to California and do this again,
1: right? I had kept a rental house there that various studios had paid for, uh, for most, most of the time I was gone. <laughs> nice. And, uh, and, um, so I came back to California, set up, uh, the writing room. Plus my daughter was out of the house and, you know, our, my life was different. Sure. Uh, and, um, and, hired and this is also during the ata the writers guild action so i had to hire a writing room without agents mm-hmm. um so i had a lot of friends on the staff a lot of people i'd worked with before uh three former writing assistants one of whom is my number two now another of whom was my supervising producer and another of whom i made a staff writer and then cobbled together a room we sat and broke the um the season, you know, you kind of, kind of, the way I, the way I work is I know where a show's going to end. And then I walk backwards. I put my nose against that whiteboard mm-hmm. and then walk backward and fill in all the other stuff. Um, so we had a, it was a great room and we spent the three weeks just talking without writing anything down over. I have a, I have a board that's called NPO, which means no, no particular order, which are scenes I'd love to see in the show. And about half of them end up getting in the show, but wouldn't it be great if there was an avalanche? It, there isn't, but would it be it wouldn't, whatever it is. Right. Um, and uh, then we put the show together and then COVID, a uh, showtime broke up our room and said, we had to work on zoom, which was really difficult. There's a writing program. I don't know if you've used it. There is a writing program on zoom, but it's yeah, everything's tiny and you have to say, wait, open that up some more and, and it, and luckily, Scott, my number two, Scott Reynolds, lived near where our old offices were. And because there was nobody else in there, in the whole building, he could go in. So mm-hmm. he went in to the room with all the whiteboards. You've been in those a thousand times, yep. the rolling boards and all of this stuff, and bring me in the character of this and all of that. He went in with his laptop and would, would go across the board so we could see him. So it's like being in the room. We say, wait. You go back to board six, and you go over there. Can you roll in the uh, Harrison board? And you roll in that board. We look at it. And it was almost like being in a room, but not as good. And um, then I realized, okay, I'm sitting in a rental house in California. My family's in Martha's Vineyard. Uh, So I just packed up and left that house and came here Mm -hmm. and continued doing the exact same thing. Um, And then we had all 10 scripts written. But we had to wait for the snow. Uh, weather, Winter weather plays a very big part in the show. And <clears throat> Dexter lives on a frozen lake. And uh, so we had to go into prep and, and location scouting. And we shot in 119 days in a row during COVID, nobody going down. Wow. Um, during COVID, 119 days in 50 different locations all throughout Massachusetts. And I, and I grew up in Boston, and I hadn't been to 80% of the places
3: <laughs>
1: <clears throat> excuse me, where we shot because we, we went to far western Massachusetts, Shelburne Falls and uh, Springfield and Lancaster and Gardner and all these towns I'd never... Worcester and all these places I'd never been to, partly because i left Boston before I would had my driver's license, so I, I wasn't getting around.
2: I guess um, it really <clears> worked for you, the fact that it's a small town meaning you don't need 42 extras. You don't need to do a restaurant scene where there's 15 people in the room. Well,
1: interesting, interestingly enough, COVID affected shooting because uh, the show takes place in and around Christmas and New Year's of, of a fictional year. Um, and we had written a huge church scene where Dexter meets the big bad and they're, they're hip to each other. And they have this kind of what we call the heat scene, you know, De Niro and
3: Pacino. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, we had the heat scene in a crowded church with them hissing at each other. And we had to completely change that because we couldn't get 300 people into a church. Um, it also affected us just in shooting. Um, as you know, you go into a bedroom or an office or, um, or what, what have you to shoot a dining room. To shoot a scene you got two or three cameras but we couldn't do that because that means two or three camera crews and that means too many people in in the room so we had to do it with one camera which slowed us down a lot we were tested i was tested every day um five days a week with the nasal thing and then one day a week with the send out spit test Mm
3: -hmm. um
1: because we had to be um what's called zone A where, you know, uh, video village and go up and talk to the director and talk to the actors and the actors are not rematched, of course. So, um, that slowed us down a bit too. And it and was an added expense. Story-wise,
2: did you worry like, well, do we deal with COVID in the story or do we ignore it? Uh, how, how did you deal with COVID in terms of the, you know, actual narrative?
1: Sure, we did. We did not deal with it at all because we had already broken the story and written nine of the ten scripts before COVID became big. Um, but we do deal with a lot of contemporary issues: um, opioid crisis, bullying, school shooting, um, other things that I can't remember off the top of my head. But you know, we it's it's very present and, and, and very grounded in today's world.
2: Well. I'm really looking forward to it, and uh, I know a lot of viewers are, too, and, and all of your websites, they all, that, that all worked. Uh, you know, people I, have their website for you to come back.
1: Right. Okay. Well, I'm I,
2: waiting for people to start a website to have me come back to MASH. Come on, people. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> oh,
1: you know what? They, they just finished shooting another season of MASH. I don't know. Maybe you didn't know this, but no, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, we we just had a meeting with the marketing people last week, and this this is the biggest marketing job Showtime has ever done on any series. And um, there's going to be a premiere at Alice Tully Hall in Lincoln Center. Wow! Um, They're taking out, you know, they're doing all the subways. They're taking out. um, If if you go onto Amazon in the month of November, the first thing you're going to see is Dexter. Michael Hall recorded for Waze, the GPS thing, mm-hmm. W-A-Z-E. Mm-hmm. He recorded a bunch of things for them like uh, police ahead. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm turning around, you know, or <laughs> whatever, whatever these are. We wrote a bunch of jokes for them. Um, what else are they doing? Uh, those electronics, um, taxi cab signs that go, those triangular signs that go on top of, that are going to run 500 of those in New York, 250 wow. in 250 in uh, Chicago, Philadelphia. Um, they've been doing those airplane banners all summer long at the beaches. I can't tell you, Mike Green, in fact, sent me a picture uh, from Long Island where, where he was uh, of a plane going over. Um, yeah, it's, we're just stunned and happy and exhausted.
2: All that said, if the show does very well, it's because of this appearance on my podcast. Okay. You <laughs> yes. know that. Forget the all other that stuff is that. just, right. yeah. yeah, they've, they've yep. wasted their money. Right. <laughs> they've right. just thrown their money away.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and there is part one of my two-part interview with Clyde Phillips. Next week we'll talk a lot about his career. He worked on a lot of movies of the week Also uh, created Parker Lewis Can't Lose. He was involved with Nurse Jackie, Suddenly Susan, a lot more shows. And uh, again, a fascinating guy with a very fascinating career. So that is next week. For now, our thanks to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, Bruce, and Jason Miller. I'm available via email if you wish to get in touch, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. I'm on Twitter, at Ken Levine, also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. So Dexter premieres early November on Showtime. Clyde Phillips, part two, coming up next week right here on...
0: Hollywood and fine Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.